0: One thing that I believe really needs to happen to enable that is that the leadership mindset has to change. And when you hire people, and now you have the ability to hire the top talent no matter where they are in the world, right? So you're getting access to incredible talent that you wouldn't have access to if you required people to come to the office. And you need to hire people to complete a job, not to sit their butts in an office for 40 hours a week so that you can see that they're spending time with you, right? So you have to get very clear about exactly what it is that you're asking these people to deliver for you.
1: In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness, depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantibos. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantibos coach and your host for Conversations. Our guest today is Cecilia Dahl, who is coming to us from a sailboat in the Exhumas, which, as I just learned, are a set of islands close to the Bahamas. Welcome, Cecilia.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here.
1: So what brings you to a sailboat?
0: Well, I've been sailing all my life and worked many, many years in corporate jobs and really decided in 2015 that I wanted to have a different lifestyle. So my husband and I bought a sailboat and we moved aboard and lived for a number of years full-time while we were working, while we were running businesses and leading teams from our sailboat as we cruised between Maine and the Bahamas. And uh, we continue to do that today.
1: And so you've painted a, a brief picture here of exactly why I want to talk to you because you said, and running businesses from a sailboat. So obviously if your business is employed more than you and your husband, you were doing leading them remotely. That's right. We were talking before we started recording about how you learned that that was even possible. And I'd love to hear you uh, share that story with our listeners.
0: Sure, absolutely. I was co-founder of a company called Smart Destinations. And what we did was we we developed a programmable ticketing system. And that allowed us to sell attraction passes in a number of cities. And as we grew and opened offices, we employed people to come. We had, I think, about 40 employees by 2008. And I was in the office every day and we had Lots of people in our headquarters and in satellite offices where people were also working and coming in every day and working. And in the recession of 2008, we got the word from our investors, not surprisingly, that we had to reduce costs because people were not spending. And we had to shut down the offices and send people to work from home. And, you know, while I have been familiar with working remotely as in sales or buying roles and that type of job role was always Seamless for me to either work remotely or lead remotely, being faced with sending everyone home that at that scale that we were looking at was really terrifying to me. And I, I really honestly believed it wasn't going to be possible. I couldn't see how we were going to continue to support customers in a market, support partners in a market, be in a market with no physical presence or address, and never mind all the stuff we had to have to support our technology network and our guidebooks. And I had the mindset of, this is never going to work for us. We're doomed. I had no choice, similar to what people were facing in the pandemic. And I sent everybody home to work. And it was tough. It was tough. We had a lot of lessons learned. I learned a lot as a leader. But what happened was absolutely amazing. Because several years later, when we started to come back out of the recession, we were doing twice the amount of work with half the people and spending so much less because we didn't have all this office space to manage. And it was definitely not an easy transition, but we learned how to communicate. We learned how to develop relationships and build trust amongst the teams, connect and collaborate. And it was a lot of trial and error, but once we got it clicking and we things started to move, it was amazing to me what this team was able to accomplish. And then I started to almost feel envious of all these folks that were, you know, I would say, I don't care if you're on a beach in Tahiti as long as you accomplish what I've hired you to do. And they took that to heart. And and many of them did take trips while working. And I said, hey, I, I want a piece of that lifestyle for myself. In fact, I think I might go somewhere and work remotely, not from my home. So then, hence, I ended up on a sailboat and have never looked back.
1: Clearly, and you mentioned this, the pandemic pushed people out of the office, Coming back from the pandemic, we've heard everything from, we don't need an office to work from home is an aberration. Everybody needs to be back in the workplace or Elon Musk's famous quote, you know, if you're not going to be in our offices, at least 40 hours a week, go steal time from someone else. And I think the biggest thing that I hear from leaders is we can't onboard people effectively remotely, or we can't build and sustain the culture that we need in a hybrid or remote environment. You're saying that maybe they can.
0: Yeah, I believe they can. One thing that I believe really needs to happen to enable that is that the leadership mindset has to change. And when you hire people, And now you have the ability to hire the top talent no matter where they are in the world, right? So you're getting access to incredible talent that you wouldn't have access to if you required people to come to the office. And you need to hire people to complete a job, not to sit their butts in an office for 40 hours a week so that you can see that they're spending time with you, right? So you have to get very clear about exactly what it is that you're asking these people to deliver for you. And I've talked to a lot of leaders that I've asked, have you been able to really clearly define someone's role to the point where it doesn't actually matter how many hours it takes them to do a thing. It matters that you're paying them to do a thing. So that's first and foremost is can they be productive and focus on productivity? And when you talk about building workplace culture that they need, I wonder and I ask, what is the definition of what you need for workplace culture? I think In a workplace, you need trust, you need relationships, you need collaboration, you need strong communication. People have to feel like they're aligned, like they're all working towards the same goal. They know what it means to be on that team, what their team identity is. And with a little planning and spending a little more time focusing on developing those things, team cultures do evolve and grow and trust does build, but it absolutely takes more planning, more thoughtfulness and more effort And the leaders of remote teams need the support to do that from companies. And that's a little bit different. Companies don't often think of giving their leaders or their managers more time and more effort just to plan around these types of things, like onboarding someone. You'll have to do more video calls. You'll have to connect them directly with other people on the team and find ways for them to build those bonds and establish themselves onto the team. It just takes a little more time and planning. And I think you mentioned it earlier when we were chatting before the call, the new generation of workers, they're figuring this out. This is how they work. This is, they're comfortable building relationships in remote environments and it's new, it's a change. It takes a little bit of time for people to adapt to that change and like any change, it's scary. But the results can be absolutely amazing when you have the best people in those roles and everybody's laser focused on productivity And they know exactly what they're contributing and what everybody else is contributing.
1: A few things come to mind as I'm listening to you. And I mentioned, again, as we were chatting before, my conversation with Chris DeSantis, the author of Why I Find You Irritating. And one of the things that comes to mind from that conversation, it's about intergenerational differences and and conflict at work. And one of the things Chris said to me in our conversation is we raise our children to fit into the generation they're growing up in. And then when they show up in the workplace or their colleagues show up in the workplace, we expect them to suddenly become our generation in terms of how they approach their work. <laughs> and I thought that was a truly brilliant insight because what you're saying is the younger generations are coming in with a different mindset, coming in with a different way of building relationship. and. If we listen to them instead of expecting them to adapt to, I'm a millennial boomer body. When I was in the, the office, I was one of those people who sat there until my boss went home so that my boss would know how committed I was to doing a good job. That's not today's generation. And if as a leader, I can't recognize that, I'm going to drive the best people out.
0: Definitely, and I was in that same situation. I I worked in a company once where if you didn't come in at 7 a.m. and stay until 7 p.m., you were labeled a nine to fiver, and it was a derogatory label. And you didn't make your way up the ladder if you did that. And for me, I tend to be fairly efficient, and I can do some projects faster than maybe some of my peers. And I often found myself literally sitting there just to have FaceTime. And even sometimes I felt compelled to have FaceTime on the weekends because if you didn't, you knew you weren't going to get that promotion or the big raise or the extra bonus. And that's not how things work today. And as leaders, we're shifting. We need to shift our mindset to what am I, you know, I kind of say, I'll say it again, what am I paying people to do for me? Am I really paying someone just to sit in a chair so I can see that they're mine for those eight or ten hours? Or am I really looking for a result? And when you can laser focus in on those results, the productivity will go up because people will be focused on that and they'll be able to sort of coordinate their projects more rather than sit around and just show their face in the office. I really look back at that time and and recognize now how the shift of the way that I look at leadership and management and KPIs and all of that is so different from that prior mindset uh, that you just described. And I also think in terms of generational differences, it's a two-way street. Yes, we have to adapt to communicating with the younger generations that are coming in. They're very different. A lot of them now are just only on text. And I think we also have to ask of them to recognize that there are some other people in the office or, or the organization that might need to see them on a video Zoom call or might need them to answer their emails. And what I Believe in what I try to tell people is when you have your team together, if everybody trusts that the other people on the team are contributing and they can do their job, come up with a communication plan and an understanding of how we're going to exchange information and communicate and collaborate and get everybody on the same page and agree to it and make it an open forum so that you have a plan and everybody's on board and things will go seamlessly. If you dictate how that's going to go, I don't believe that's going to work out. You have to have the whole team come together and, and collaborate on those plans.
1: How do you build that trust?
0: (laughs) Well, trust grows over time, as we all know, right? And a lot of the trust-building things that we have in an office space happen without us even knowing, right? The little conversations that you have in the elevator on the ride or the coffee breaks or the lunchroom chatter where you get to know people on a personal level. It's really important on a virtual team to provide the space for people to get to know each other on that personal level. And it might seem kitschy, you know, to do something like start every meeting by somebody sharing something about themselves or do something fun like an in-house scavenger hunt and have everybody share. But what happens with those types of exercises is little by little, you start to get to know the human side of people. And that's when that connection and trust builds. Also, really encourage people to go off and collaborate on their own, right? Pick a person on the team to partner with you on a project and work together and just let them go and do that and then celebrate when people take the initiative to collaborate and work together because that's also going to establish trust. And lastly, I would say lead with authenticity and honesty because if they see that you're leading authentically and honestly and that you are bringing a reason to trust you to the table, that's the foundation of it all as the leader. You need to be open and honest and, and really clear with the team that uh, you are trustworthy as well.
1: I think all of that is such sound advice. So many of my coaching sessions with leaders now are about stepping out of the role and into your personhood. Working with the, several leaders, actually, the, the top 15 leaders of what is 10,000 or more, an employee division of laborers, blue collar workers. And they're really looking to move from a command and control model, which was a part of their industry for more than a century now to a very different, what I would call enlightened style of leadership. And they literally created a list through a series of workshops of these are the things we need to stop. These are the things we need to start. These are the things we need to continue. And um, it was so interesting. It was was talking to coaching with one of my clients who had moved to a new geographic area and he was going out and visiting the worksites. And he said, you know, when I used to do this, the local manager of that worksite would introduce me by my title and my role. You know, now I just walk in and I introduce myself by name. And some people ask me what I do and some don't but I'm creating a different image, if you will, of myself as a leader um, in doing that. The head of this unit came in one day as they were sort of wrapping up their work around defining the new culture. And he said, as of tomorrow, we have a new dress code. It's button-down shirt, polo, or dress, and it's jeans or chinos. The way we dress sets us apart experientially, if you will, or, or perceptually from those who report to us in ways we no longer want to perpetuate. And one of the participants said, but I like my dress pants. And he said, <laughs> like them on the weekends.
0: Yeah. Like yeah, them on yeah. the <laughs> weekends. <laughs> yeah.
1: What you're saying about relationship, I think, is I often use Judith Glazer's model of building and trust. And it's a neuroscience-based model. The acronym is TRUST. The R is relationship. It's about getting to know the person. And what I often say is, I'm going to invest myself a whole lot more in doing work for Cecilia than I will in doing work for the boss.
0: Yeah, it is really, the foundation of everything is relationships. You know, when you're building any team, it's really important on virtual teams to make sure that that happens on your team. And, you know, there are situations I consider a hybrid team to have the same challenges as a virtual team, right? Because you have people in different parts, not everybody's together. And at times, it makes sense to bring everybody together. If you can afford it, if you can do it once a year, do it once a year. Just take that time because you'll accelerate the opportunity to build those personal relationships more than virtually. But it's not that it can't be done. And if you plan and take time and schedule that, connectivity time those relationships will build and evolve and then they'll happen on their own and that's a beautiful thing because people become friends and similar to what you were just saying was I will invest more doing work for Cecilia than the boss they'll help each other as well and support each other and then they'll know that they have each other's back if they're in a meeting and someone can't show up because a lot of times when you have people in virtual groups and this is natural if you miss a meeting And you don't know what happened and maybe somebody can't fill you in there's no time you start to make stories up in your mind and sometimes there can be a lot of insecurities there if you don't have that trust and if you know that everybody on the team has your back that's another whole level of trust that just works to continue you can be more productive when you're not worried about what's going on that you can't see because you're not physically in an office
1: if you had one short elevator ride with a leader who was really wrestling with how do I lead my organization into a virtual world? What would you tell them?
0: I would tell them, hire the best people for the job, first and foremost. Take time to make sure that you pull the team together and establish trust and a strong foundation of communication, and then do everything that you can as a leader to lift up and support that team to be successful and to be productive. As a leader of a virtual team, you're really the foundation, making sure that all the pieces are in place to support those very talented people that you've now been able to hire from anywhere in the world to be productive in what they're doing. And it's that I lead from the bottom up type of mindset.
1: Cecilia, what other key messages would you like to share before we wrap this up?
0: Well, I really, I see a lot. Actually, I just read an article today that just came out that said why working from home is awful why remote work is awful right and i think there's a there's a whole new spin on this saying it's working it's not working and we're back and forth remote work and hybrid work that's here to stay and what i see when people say it's awful and continue to feel like it's not working is that we need to train leaders to deal with it in a different way. We need to adjust our mindset as business leaders, as business owners and executive, to support remote work, as opposed to just believing that you can send people home and everything's gonna work the same way. And I think that's the key. Change the mindset and recognize it's not that remote work isn't working, it's the way we're approaching remote work isn't working. And we need to make those adjustments and that takes new skills, it takes time, it takes training and commitment and courage.
1: Cecilia Udall, thank you so much for this conversation.